Hey, Scott. Yes, Adam. Could you make me a sandwich? A bologna sandwich? Yes, please. Coming to you almost live from the Space Shuttle launch pad at Cape Canaveral, this is The Unknown Studio. I'm Scott. I'm Adam. And we are your hosts. Joining us on the show today is a fellow named Brent Jans, who is organizing the 5th Annual Pure Speculation Science Fiction Festival. That's correct. Yeah, Science Fiction Festival. Welcome, Brent. Thanks for having me. So what's this festival all about? Just to get things started off on an uh, informative note for our many... For our tens of listeners. All ten of them. Wow, ten. That's awesome. I, I feel privileged. Uh, the Pure Speculation Festival is um, about pretty much every facet of sci-fi and fantasy. Uh, we cover literature, comic books, gaming. We touch on oh the newest trends, uh, steampunk. Uh, we touch on hard science. We put in a little bit of something for everyone, every geek out there. And this is taking place uh, the weekend of October the 3rd? Uh, yeah, October 2nd to 4th. Oh, okay. So it runs for three days. That's right, at the Shaw Conference Center. And so what kinds of things do you fabulous nerds do at Pure Speculation? <laughs> uh, well, we, uh, we run gaming. Um, we have uh, an entire weekend of games, not only uh, tournaments and, uh, and uh, set-up games, but uh, we have tables for drop-in gaming. You can come by, pick a game. Uh, hangout. We have panels going on. Um, OnSpec, one of our sponsors, runs uh, ConSpec, which is our literary stream. So we have uh, literary panels running that entire weekend. Uh, we have uh, hard science panels. Uh, we have some uh, lovely young ladies coming in, uh, Brittany Trogan and Dr. Uh, Tora Catcher, who uh, are running some uh, some hard science panels for us on molecular biology and the ethics of genetic modification. Ethics go out the window when it comes to genetic modification as far as I'm concerned. Because I want to see a pigeon rat. Just like the one that Bart Simpson made by sewing two animals together. That is genetic manipulation. That is that is what science's goal should now be, is Adam's pigeon rat. Or, you know, any two animals that would go nicely together, like a zebra shark. How about a dog cat? Then you'd have the best of both worlds. <laughs> no, no. I think that a dog that was behaving like a cat would probably be just about the worst thing in the world. It's bad enough cats behave that way. How about cats that behave like dogs? I will accept that. They would be friendlier. They would be way friendlier. We got totally off topic there. That's how this works. That's how this whole <laughs> thing goes. So you mentioned you mentioned hard science, and I, I expect that it's going to be, you know, um, the kind of discussion you would have with these people would be stuff relating to science fiction tangentially. It's true. It's uh, they be talking about a lot of the stuff that you would find in a science fiction novel. Um, we uh, we sort of touch on uh, you know so the, the stuff that's uh, a little bit on the cutting edge, mm -hmm. um, not really the the more common items that you see out there. But we we have a lot of uh, you know we've had a lot of uh, hard science people come out in the past, and uh, you know it's something we try and keep in every pure spec. I would like to talk to somebody about warp drive and molecular transportation and that kind of thing. 
Uh, I think we can probably arrange it. I think yeah. we should. <laughs> um, now, you, you talked about gaming rooms, and I know that that's, this is something that Scott's quite keen on, being the guy coordinating that aspect of pure spec. Because uh, we, pr- we don't even pretend that we don't have a bias on this show. No, why would we? Or that we have any sort of conflicts of interest. This no. is our show. We're not beholden to anybody. By the way, if you want to advertise, email adam at theunknownstudio.ca. Carrying on. <laughs> uh, now, I, I expect you're not, you're, we're not talking about things like, um, you know, dominoes and checkers. No. We are talking about, uh, you know, stuff ranging from the hardcore RPG type stuff to the uh, less hardcore, well, what's the least hardcore you guys expect to see here? Like Euro gaming, that kind of stuff. And what is that exactly? Well, okay. <clears throat> Pay attention, dear listener. I'm about to educate you. Uh, what uh, what a lot of people consider to be a board game would be something along the lines of a Monopoly or a uh, a Clue, something like that, uh, which is arguably the more mainstream games. Recently, what has come into the mainstream are games like, and people are very familiar with this one now, Settlers of Catan, which are point-based games uh, with a, a little more in the way of depth of strategy involved with it. And uh, that is a type of game that was prevalent largely in Europe and has started to come over this way, which is why they are referred to as Euro games. It's it's created actually a bit of a renaissance in board gaming, uh, both in North America and in Europe. And there's a lot of really good games out there right now, and uh, I would recommend that you seek them out. In fact, you and I, and I know that Brent also played. Uh, was it? It's night. Is it Knights of what's it called? Tales of the Arabian Nights. That one. Did you guys, you played that yes. with uh, Scott and his lovely fiance Anita? Yes, I have. Uh, that that got me really excited again about playing board games, I have to admit. Because, you know, whenever I play board games, it's like let's play Scrabble or uh, Monopoly, which I'm just so terrible at. <laughs> uh, and terrible at because in spite of the fact that I, I, I suppose I'm a I come across as a bit of a capitalist when it comes to playing games like that. I maintain as socialist a behavior as possible to keep as many people in the game for as long as possible until you absolutely have to start making people go bankrupt. Uh, I actually would like to uh, interject there that I have yet to meet someone who has said that they are good at Monopoly. I don't believe that there are people who are good at Monopoly. I believe everyone who plays Monopoly fumbles through the game and does the best they can and really has no conception of how the game should actually be played. I maintain that. Well, maybe you'll meet someone at Pure Speculation who, for some reason, wants to play Monopoly and actually is good at it instead of just, like, getting three of the four railroads and one of the utility companies. You know what? The the people who are good at playing Monopoly are involved in Ponzi schemes right now. (laughs) I'm certain. (laughs) Bernie Madoff was a really good guy. World champion, I would imagine. I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was. Anyway, back to Pure Spec. Right. We're talking about the science fiction festival. And I don't know if you want to talk about this aspect of it, which we started to discuss before we started recording, but you deliberately decided to call it a festival and not a science fiction convention. That's right. We we had started... Uh, out its first year or two it was a science fiction convention and then we we were discussing sort of our approach to running it and uh, and how we want our attitude towards um, our attitude towards science fiction and fantasy fandom and we came to the conclusion uh, that we had a much more uh, celebratory attitude towards it uh, than a lot of the the conventions that I had uh, had attended myself 
Um, and so we made the conscious decision to refer to it as a festival to sort of keep that celebration aspect, you know, in the forefront uh, in people's minds. And it it also leads into, I mean, uh, you know, this is Edmonton and it's the festival city and it's, you know, it certainly helps us sort of uh, create opportunities to um, cross promote with other festivals in the city. Um, but uh, but forefront was always the uh, celebrating sci-fi and fantasy fandom. And so, in your fifth year, uh, tell us about the first year you did it. Was <laughs> it was it one of those cobbled together things? Uh, it really was. It was me, um, a friend of mine, and now my roommate Stanley Wu, um, and a girl by the name of Sylvia, and uh, we really just we none of us had any idea how to run a festival uh, or a convention or anything like that. I just had the the urge to do it after seeing that Edmonton didn't have one and hadn't had one for quite some time. Um, so we threw it together. I think we, um, you know, I spent all of three months putting it together and, and booking the hotel space and bringing in, and all of our guests were local that year. And, um, and we were really, really proud of it. And we had probably 60 people come out. Um, <laughs> uh, because we really didn't understand advertising or anything else. We just assumed that, uh, you know, if we put it on, that all the geeks of Edmonton would just swell up and uh, and rush us. Nerd sense would instinctively lead them there. <laughs> yes. Is that what they call that? Yeah. <laughs> that, uh, that didn't work so well. My nerd sense once led me to a Star Trek convention. That was yeah. awesome, by <laughs> the way. I, I dare every... You know, every single person listening to go to something like that because, like, you know, you, you see the the stereotypes associated with that kind of thing. You go there and you invariably meet – you see some really cool stuff. You meet very cool people and um, maybe make a friend or two, learn something. I find it remarkable, though, that you got 60 people without doing any, you know, widespread advertising. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So they, they're – what did you call it? Geek sense? Nerd sense? The nerd sense, it, yeah. Their nerd sense was tingling. <laughs> it was powerful. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So, and you're in your fifth year now, uh, which I've probably said about four times. I just want to really harp on that for some reason. Um, <laughs> what are you, what are you hoping to, what do you want pure speculation to, to be this year? How big do you want it to be? Um, you know, what's, what are you trying to achieve by putting this on year after year? Um, I really just want the, the fans in Edmonton and, uh, I guess to a lesser extent around the the province, although you know not that we're trying to exclude Calgary, um, although that seems to be popular with a lot of Edmonton events. But um, we love you, Calgary. You can you can come to Pierce Beck. Um, it's uh, <laughs> but we we really want uh, we want to give the uh, the fans of Edmonton a, a place to celebrate. Um, you know, I mean, a geek is a geek all year round. I mean, you don't stop being a geek because there isn't a convention on. Um, but it's, it's very rare that you get a chance to spend a concentrated amount of time being a geek and being a geek with other geeks, um, you know, which is, I think, what uh, conventions and, and our festival tries to accomplish. We try and give people a space that they can come out and they can just relax and, and be a geek and not worry about, uh, you know, maybe I shouldn't talk about my last D&D game because there's people over there that don't play it or understand it we give them an environment where they can you know enjoy themselves without uh, with abandon so reckless abandon <laughs> geek abandon geek abandon reckless yeah. geek abandon <laughs> reckless geek abandon hey man you know I, it's actually it's surprising how many uh, you mentioned D&D &D nerds um, and and 
fair listener, we use nerd and geek in, in the most enduring of terms because there are three people in the studio right now. I think each and every one of us would rent ourselves as one or both of those terms. So geeks, nerds, smile, be happy. But, you know, it's um, uh, I'm, I'm almost 30 now. And, and throughout my life, you know, back in, in junior high, I was like, oh, you know, D&D, that's so stupid. Like only geeks and idiots would play that. Getting to high school. And it was weird. I went to a really unusual high school, but uh, the the cool kids, the kids who were you know into a lot of different stuff, they were really into D and D. And as I grew up and started meeting people that I thought were cool, um, which is certainly no benchmark, but uh, you know it's it's remarkable how many people have played or continue to play these hardcore role-playing games. And I know that, Scott, uh, often you're a game master for some of our friends. I'm known to roll the dice on occasion. <laughs> That's so dramatic. Yes. So um, I'm glad that you guys have a, you guys, we all have a safe harbor to, uh, to partake of this kind of thing. Um, you know, so we've talked about games. You have some amazing speakers lined up, I understand. We do. Uh, our guests of honor this year, we have uh, Edward Ouellette, who is the, uh, uh, this year's winner of the uh, Aurora Prize, which is Canada's highest prize for uh, science fiction uh, literature. I'm going to cut you off before you even talk about any other guests of honor. Uh, Ed Ouellette. Great guy. Uh, came in last minute. We got in touch with him and asked if he could come out as our writer guest of honor this year because we were originally supposed to have Spider and Gene Robinson come That's out. Right. Yeah. And uh, that didn't work out. Why don't you tell us and our and our tens of listeners why that happened, Brent? Well, we did have Spider and Gene Robinson uh, lined up to come out. And Spider has been uh, an author for uh, since, uh, since Dirt was young. And... Uh, has uh, written some really amazing stories, um, but unfortunately, uh, his wife Jean uh, has suffered from uh, biliary cancer. Um, and although they had operated to try and um, put an end to it, and had thought they'd gotten all of it, uh, it turns out that wasn't the case. And so they uh, they have to start a round of chemotherapy for her, um, which of course meant that obviously she couldn't come. And Spider, being her sort of sole sole support network out uh they live in a little, little island off the vancouver coast um he also couldn't come so they were very you know apologetic and obviously we under completely understood and uh, yeah edward Willette stepped in at the last second and said sure uh, he was going to attend another uh festival or convention that weekend vcon in uh, in vancouver um just attending it uh and he just changed his plane tickets at the last second and uh now he's flying in at Edmonton to be with us, so we're we're really grateful to Edward for coming out and do that. And you know, um, we're also running a uh, we retasked our uh, charity auction to uh, to help raise money for the the Robinsons. That's awesome. So it's uh, yeah, it's really nice. Uh, the geek community is uh, fairly well known for being really generous. Um, yeah. you know, for fundraising, for good events and things like that. Um, and I mean, this is something that's very important to all of us. So. Well, that's tremendous. It's really unfortunate they couldn't come, but... It is, because uh, I've been a fan of Spider Robinson's for years, and I was really looking forward to meeting him. But they have, uh, you know, once uh, once Jean has uh, has finished her, her chemotherapy and is feeling wonderful again, they've uh, they've said they're more than happy to come out next year. So we're, fingers crossed, we're going to see if we can work to get them out. Awesome. For Pure Spec 2010. Well, on behalf of the Unknown Studio, Jean, we hope you feel better. Uh, it's a shame you won't be joining us at Pure Speculation this year, but so it goes. But get well soon so that we can uh, enjoy your company next year. Absolutely. Indeed. Here in the 
in the fabulous city of Edmonton. So when you, when you did this the first year, you said that it was all local people. After the first year, was it very difficult to, to, to attract guests from out of town, or, or were, you, were you guys getting better at advertising yourselves? No, we were getting much better at it. And actually, it's amazing. It, a lot of the people that you would think would be really difficult to bring in were not. Um, you know, I guess there's this... Uh, um, everybody has this idea that these people are really unattainable, and, and uh, in most cases, it was an email. We, really? we just sent an email and said, "Hey, um, we're running this thing. Do you are you free this weekend? Would you like to come out? We'll fly you in, put you up, um, and let you uh, let you talk." And uh, people were really just, you know, amazingly, were happy to do so. That's cool. Yeah, it's hard to say no to a free plane ticket. It is. Uh, <laughs> it is. Yeah. But uh, no, and I mean, one of our surprise guests this year, which we uh, we sort of lucked into, uh, Jay Bardia, who runs uh, uh, Happy Harbor Comics and is also one of our major sponsors and is also one of our organizers, mm-hmm. um, mentioned. Well, what we're saying is you should go shop at Happy Harbor Comics. You totally three, should. three locations around Edmonton. <laughs> Jay, you can talk to me later about how much that ad will cost you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Sort of. <laughs> Uh, anyways sorry (laughs) sorry brent go on uh jay lucked into or not lucked into we lucked into jay mentioned that uh hey i can contact rick green if you want to have him come out and i knew rick green through uh well i mean everybody knows rick green through uh history bites and uh the frantics and um red green he was Red Bill. Green. He was Bill on Red Green. Yeah, he was Adventures with Bill. Um, but uh, hardcore Canadian geeks know him uh, best from a little show called Prisoners of Gravity, which ran on TV Ontario hmm. um, for a number of years, in which he played uh, Commander Rick, uh, a guy trapped on a space station, uh, basically busting into uh, broadcasts and uh, presenting a show about uh, sci-fi pop culture. Cool. Uh, and it was a fantastic little half-hour show that uh you know i loved watching and uh yeah we as soon as jay told us that uh, he could get a hold of him and he called him up and rick said yeah sure it's a great idea sounds like a good idea so That's he's huge. wasn't he uh wasn't he offering to do a prisoners of gravity reunion show he is actually because uh, because it involves him yes and no one else because yeah. it was a one-man show yeah. <laughs> a reunion show with a yeah. single person yeah uh, he is actually doing, uh, he's doing the uh, Prisoners of Gravity reunion show at our Friday night's uh, Taste of Pure Speculation. Oh, so. you're tasting Pure Speculation. Yes, uh, the Friday nights. It's uh, like the Taste of Edmonton, but nerdier. Really? Is there gach? Is there going to be gach there? I wish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, we're running, uh, Ashley. It's going to be at Happy Harbor Comics on the Friday night starting at 7. It's just going to be uh, a meet and greet with our guests of honor and... Uh, and we're talking about a meet and yes. greet. Oh, yes. You get to walk up, <laughs> shake hands with them. That's really cool. Yeah. Um, I might actually go to this. I didn't know about Pure Spec until Scott told me about it, and now uh, <laughs> you're tingling my... <laughs> Let me rephrase that. <laughs> please, please do. <laughs> my nerd curiosity. Excellent. My geek sense is tingling is what I meant to say. Excellent. <laughs> so ridiculous. Uh for clarification, because I had mentioned moments ago in our free advertising that uh, there are three locations of Happy Harbor. Uh, we're referring to the downtown Happy Harbor for that. It would be on 124th and Jasper. 
Yep. So on the where one twenty fourth turns into Jasper Ave there. Yep. One oh one one two uh one twenty fourth street upstairs. Cool. You're welcome, and Jay. It, and it's free. Call me Jay. <laughs> Uh, but besides those two, besides uh, Edward Willette and Rick Green, we also have uh, Aaron Acevedo, who is uh, uh, a wonderful artist uh, who works uh, works in the gaming industry doing art for gaming books um, and does a lot of Cthulhu-styled artwork. Um, you will see his uh, a piece of his art, at least on the cover of the, uh, the Pure Spec program book, um, but he's also bringing a display of about uh, a dozen pieces to show at the... Of Cthulhu pieces? Um, some Cthulhu pieces, some uh, painting that he does for other things. He's uh, he's sort of unique in that industry in that he uh, he tends to do uh, he tends to actually paint his stuff. Our our cover piece, for instance, is an actual painting. Cool. Um, and you can see it's an actual painting because you can see where he's taken the painting, laid it down on a scanner, and scanned it. And you can actually still see the thread in the in the canvas. Oh yeah. And the, but uh, uh, and it's really beautiful looking piece you must be so excited because you love cthulhu as much as one could love a terrifying creature like cthulhu um yes i love cthulhu and cthulhu loves you with breakfast <laughs> scott has a whole pile of uh of uh cthulhu figures and 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 objects in his house so that's why i'm bugging him right now it's called a shrine yes well nerd oh wait a minute we all are It has been written that the geeks shall inherit the earth. Well, that day has come at the Pure Speculation Festival. Celebrate with a weekend of gaming, costumes, and authors like Edward Willett. Science, fiction, and fantasy come to life at the 5th Annual Pure Speculation Festival. With discussion panels, tournaments, and a chance to chat with people who fuel your favorite genre. The Pure Speculation Festival opens a portal to another world. October 3rd and 4th at the Shaw Conference Center. Beam in to purespec.org. So how did you get to be such a geek friend? What was it that, you know, what is it that you do that makes you a geeky guy? Uh, well. Aside from uh, organizing science fiction festivals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, which in itself would probably qualify me. But uh, uh, when I was much, much younger, I read uh, things like, uh, you know, Arthur, uh, the Knights of the Round Table, and Robin Hood, and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and, and all that sort of stuff. And at the time, I mean, it was like eight or nine, I didn't even really understand that this stuff was particularly geeky, um, you know, that there was anything odd about enjoying this stuff. They were just really good stories. Um, and then around the age of 10, I got introduced to Dungeons & Dragons, which uh, this was 1980. Um, and uh, So back when it was still evil. <laughs> yes. Um, and... Uh, and managed to get involved with it mostly because it took place at the public library where I was growing up. Um, and my folks were fine with me doing anything that involved the public library. So, uh, <laughs> Except for junk in the basement, right? Yeah. 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 Oh, wait, no, that's the downtown public library here. Yeah. I love you, Edmonton. Please continue. <laughs> no problem. So uh, from there, it really just... Uh, sort of spread out i started playing DD, and then the DD books at the time referenced a whole bunch of uh sci-fi and fantasy books in their bibliography at the end um and so i went and picked those up and started reading those and then from there it just sort of branched outwards um and you know and then as i got older i got in 
interested in watching Star Trek and and all the rest of it. So Battlestar Galactica, um, I had to start with the really awful one back in the eighties, um, but uh, <laughs> I'm uh, really happy to see the the nice shiny new one uh, that came out recently. I think the old uh, one's awesome because like Baltar is this weird like techno pimp living with the Cylons. It's so it, it was so weird. <laughs> he looks like he should be like a floating head character in some fortune telling science fiction. Yeah. Some kind. Yeah, it was definitely a it was definitely a product of its times. Um, you know, I mean, Galactica nineteen eighty with the flying motorcycles and the, and the bell bottom velour pants and the leather jackets was. Uh, I know at least two people out there wish that space was actually like that, and by two I mean me and someone else. <laughs> Adam is still waiting for his flying motorcycle and his bell bottomed velour pants and his leather jacket. It's true because then he too will be a spaceman. I uh, would just like to remind everyone that Christmas is coming. That is all. <laughs> um, I, I imagine you. So you mentioned Battlestar and 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 a certain uh, shall we say nostalgia for the original. What did mm-hmm. you think of the reimagined series? Uh, I really liked it. Um, I liked that they didn't completely dismiss everything that happened in the first one. That they sort of treated it as a um, as a prequel. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was a nice touch and a nice way to start the the new one. And, uh, yeah, I mean, what can you say? It was a, a much different sensibility. The first one was, I mean, even when things were horrible, um, you know, really sort of light and and happy and, uh, um, you know, in comparison to the modern remake of it, which was... A lot more serious. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, I can't, off the top of my head, actually remember a light, happy episode of Battlestar Galactica uh, in the entire series. I don't um, think there was one. Yeah. So. Not even the finale. Yeah. Uh, what's your favorite Star Trek? I need to know this. You mentioned getting into Star Trek, you know, sort of after the D&D phase. I do, yeah. And was that with the original series? Uh, that was with the original series. <laughs> uh, also hilarious? Also hilarious, and I'm I'm sort of split. I'm actually getting back into it now um, because of the uh, the remasterings that they've done. Oh, yeah, that's uh, right. The digital uh, digital sound and color remasterings and the, the um, you know, Michael Okuda going back in and, and adding in a lot more uh, graphic quality to the stuff is really yeah i may have to buy these yeah christmas is coming i don't want to buy these um individual planets like for instance uh well there's uh one of my favorite episodes at muck time i love that episode um vulcan actually looks like vulcan instead of just this amorphous red blob that uh you you can actually see continents and Hmm. continents and and very small oceans in the the uh you see when Gene Roddenberry first released Star Trek back in the day, it wasn't a complete series the way that he'd originally imagined it. He always wanted people to go back when the technology caught up with his vision and add in all the elements that weren't there to begin with. Uh, the next step, as I understand it, is to add a completely digital character in the background of all the ship scenes. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and I'm making fun of George Lucas right know, now is what I'm actually doing. And they'll have Greedo <laughs> shoot first, right? Because yes, Greedo, Greedo uh, will in fact shoot at Captain Kirk first before Captain Kirk murders his sorry ass. Or just yes. spoons him on the shoulders. Yes. Scoops him. Gives him that uh, double karate chop. <laughs> what the hell is that? And then rips his shirt. <laughs> is it by himself? It's not that the creature he's fighting rips his shirt. He's just like, nah, I yeah. don't need this. I'm fighting. All I'm saying is that the Gorn will be a lot more awesome when they get done with the digital <laughs> reimagining. Faster instead of why? It's like that whole thing was shot in slow motion. And and well, the guy probably couldn't see in the giant rubber suit. Give him a break. <laughs> they just they just weren't thinking when they shot that. They just yeah. weren't thinking. 
Oh, well, it's hilarious to go back and watch stuff like that. That's for sure. It is. It is. Um, Out of all the series, I actually... um, Deep Space Nine was my favorite Star Trek series. Yes. That's yours too, That is also my favorite Star Trek series. I will always have a soft spot in my place for Jean-Luc Picard. He was a good captain, and I have to... I did uh, really enjoy uh, Next Generation, um, although... uh, I enjoyed Next Generation from probably season two onward, the first season. Mm-hmm. Uh, even at the, I was watching it live on television when it was first coming out, and it was really hard to take. I was happy it was back, but I watched, tuned it in, the tuned the television to that sta- that station every day at that time, yeah. more to support the show than to actually watch it. A lot of the time, I spent sort of off on the side, not doing anything. Oh, really? Um, but uh, it got better as time went on, and you know, after seven years, it was. A good number of good episodes. The only thing I have to say, I enjoyed Deep Space Nine as well. It took a little while for them to get moving. Yes. It took a little while for Star Trek The Next Generation to get moving, It totally too. did. It takes two seasons, I think, really. But the thing that I loathed was... The thing that I disliked the most about Deep Space Nine was not... It was usually when Cisco was talking about baseball. Any episode that revolved around his stupid hobbies, it's just like on The Next Generation with the holodeck. Why does anyone go in there? Why would you ever go into a holodeck and reenact a scenario where there's weaponry or something? Because invariably, the thing malfunctions because some kind of alien has invaded the, uh, what are those, isolinear chips? Now, I would like to point out that rarely in Star Trek Deep Space Nine did uh, Chief O'Brien and Dr. Bashir end up having to fight off real Spartans. Because Quark's holodecks worked a lot better than the Enterprise's holodeck. Well, I mean, what does that say? I'm just saying that Chief O'Brien should have been the chief engineer on the Enterprise. Exactly. What does that say? What does that say about Geordi? Don't get a blind man to engineer your ship. Like, he can't see what he's doing half the time. He's got that yeah. freaking thing on his face. Well, to be fair, though, uh, having a blind man as an engineer was a better choice than having a blind man as the helmsman, <laughs> which is what he started the first season off as. That's true. It's- but and the, and the other thing, like, so you've got you've got a guy, you got Jordy LaForge, who's a genius engineer, but he's blind. You also have a robot on your ship who can compute things really quickly. How did the Enterprise ever break down? Um, because Data wasn't the chief engineer. However, he was whenever they needed him to be, basically. So what you're he saying did, is... He did anything they needed him to do. They, they were, were very inconsistent with what exactly Data was capable they of. They really hobbled. Uh, they were hobbled by the command structure. This is the thing. Don't join the Navy, because... When you want to fix the ship, you'll be swabbing the deck somewhere. That's that's the way this happens. And we won't even talk about the crappy Star Trek The Next Generation movies, because those were awful. It was basically the grand adventures of Picard and Data with moving set pieces around them. And those moving set pieces were named like Riker and Troy and Crusher and, you know what? and LaForge. To be fair, in every single episode of The Next Generation, Riker was a moving set piece. Not at first. And this is the problem. <laughs> this is the problem with Commander Riker. And I like Commander Riker. I, I do. do. I'm growing a beard so I can be him for Halloween. I would like to say that he got the shaft because originally the way it was presented was that Captain Picard would stay on the ship and Commander Riker would go down to the planet and then Picard would be like doing the diplomacy and commanding the ship and Riker would be down fighting the bad guys and you know getting laid and then somewhere (laughs) somewhere along the way they decided you know what would be more expedient is if we just had Picard go down to the planet and you know rough shit up and get laid and then Riker became totally redundant he became the uh vestigial command position on the starship he was not necessary in the least and i feel bad for the guy because he was he was a decent character 
in, in and in no episode was this more apparent. And it was early on in the series. It might have even been, it might have even been the first season when they had the the binars on the sh- on the, the ship like fixing the computer and the the premise of the episode was the camera was following Riker around before everyone left the ship so these guys could tune it up and it was so apparent how completely freaking useless Riker was throughout that whole episode and guess what happened he got locked on a holodeck with some floozy who kept him there um there was i i read this recently and i think this is neat there was an episode, and I don't recall which season, uh, in which they bring on uh, a double of Riker, who was like a, still a lieutenant. And he'd been trapped on a planet for like a couple years, and it, he became Thomas Riker basically by the end of the episode. There was legitimate uh, thought being bandied about the writing table to kill off Commander Riker in that episode and have Thomas Riker replace him on the ship as a regular cast member as the new helmsman. And I think that would have been amazing. I don't know that the Star Trek watching audience would have been ready for that. Yes, on a show like the new BSG, it's it's shocking, yeah, but commonplace to to whack one of the the, the cast members. But I mean, and and I know that on Next Generation they got rid of Tasha Yar, but really, I mean, what was her claim to fame? She had sex with the robot in one episode. Big deal. And then she got killed by a giant slick of oil. And then she came back and uh, had a Romulan baby. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She was foxy. (laughs) The Romulan baby? No. Well, when she was an adult, Scott. Okay. Fair enough. (laughs) Uh, This turned into a weird, nerdy Star Trek conversation, might I add. I I did that deliberately. (laughs) He's been dying for a Star Trek episode. And he just hijacked this episode and turned it into a Star Trek episode. It's very rude of me. That's okay. But uh, I agree with you. Uh, I think that the main reason they decided not to do that, as I understand it, is because they were like, ah, that might be a little too much for our for our audience. Uh, but at the same time, the, the impetus for it was they were torn because at the same time they were like, God, Riker is such a useless tit, and we need to do something to replace him. But we don't want to lose Jonathan Frakes. So Who else is going to direct our show? Oh, I know. Let's get the blind engineer to do it, which they wound up doing in like the last two seasons. Directed by LeVar Burton. Can't believe that. <laughs> hey, Reading Rainbow was great. I know. And I grew up over. on Reading Rainbow. Yeah, it just, it just got canceled after, what, 20 years or yeah, something? Yeah, something it was like that. obscenely long. Um, so you're, you're a big fan of Deep Space Nine. Uh, you're a big fan of all kinds of science fiction. What are you most looking forward to about Pure Spec? Because I imagine you've been so stressed out just organizing. I would be. <laughs> like, I organized a conference once and it nearly killed me. I developed a rash <laughs> because it was so stressful. Hmm. Uh, well, I won't lie. I mean, one of the main things I'm looking forward to is the uh, the day after Pure Spec when I actually get a full <laughs> night's sleep yeah. uh, for the first time in uh, a really long while. Uh, no, the the festival itself, I'm really uh, looking forward to, well, I'm looking forward to meeting all of our guests of honor. Um, that's sort of the high point of every festival for me because these people, I mean, we've been in contact with them via email and occasionally by phone, um, but actually getting a chance to sit down and talk with them and uh, meet them face to face and thank them for like you know coming to Edmonton for a weekend and uh, mm-hmm. and spending some time with us um, looking forward to seeing like all of the the locals that we have coming out um, there's a lot of really talented people here in Edmonton that are, are uh, coming out to help us out again uh, and come out every year um, you know uh, we have local writers and, and web comic uh, designers and and all the rest of it that uh are just really supportive of the festival every year. That's not something you really hear a lot about either, is it? Like, 
I remember hearing that someone in Edmonton had developed a like a made a fan movie for Star Trek or something. I, I can't remember what it was. It was something that was really good. And but aside from stuff like this, mm-hmm. there's no real outlet for promotion. I mean, that's changing now with the nature of the web and stuff. But yeah, how big is the not just the the, the people who are into reading and 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 consuming the media? How big? In, in Edmonton, how big is the community of content creators for sci-fi? Uh, it's actually bigger than you would think. Um, there's a lot going on. And, I mean, a lot of it is, uh, you know, it's helped along uh, by things like having Bioware uh, here in the city. Yeah, I bet. Which, uh, you know, brings us a lot of uh, a lot of creators, you know, a lot of programmers, writers, uh, designers. Um, but, I mean, just people you meet on the street who... Uh, spend a lot of time working on things that they love. Uh, Alina Pete, who does WearGeeks.com, which is a she's a local webcomic writer. Um, you know, we have local we have authors who have written you know novels, short stories, and have been for years, uh, years and years. Um, you know, game designers. Um, we have uh, a fellow coming out, Ivan uh, uh, Malkin who's uh, coming out this year. He's developed a, a live-action role-playing system. So he's going to be presenting that at uh, Pierce Beck. And, uh, you know, we just get all sorts of people. The the More and more we're getting to the point where we're having to actually, um, you know, as we get closer to the festival every year, we sort of turn people away um, because we have to. <laughs> we have to. It's a great we only have so have. much space. Yeah, it's yeah. a great problem to have. And, I mean, you know, next year we're going to be adding in another room so we can run more panels and and uh, so, I mean, the potential for, for us to grow and, and uh, present a really full weekend of, of stuff is, is out there. So I peeked at the schedule a little bit before we, we sat down to record, and uh, it looks like you've got two concurrent talks or panel discussions going on. Yep. And that all that core part of Pure Spec starts on the Saturday, correct? That's right. Uh, Saturday and Sunday we, start the, we run the panels. Um, that'll all take place in two... Uh, conference rooms at uh, the Shaw Conference Center. Okay, and are there? Are, I imagine what you're doing the uh, the the meet and greet at uh, Happy Harbor downtown on the Friday. That's Do correct. you have parties, you know, scheduled for like the Saturday night? Saturday night is our costume shindig, which is uh, also going to happen in Happy Harbor Volume One, which is the on 124th Street, okay. and that's the uh, that's the big costume party that we have uh, every Saturday night. Um, we give out uh, this year. We have sort of uh, two tiers to the costuming. In in years past, we took a, a much more lighthearted approach to costuming, um, and encouraged people who who maybe never have done a lot of costuming before to come out and try things and mm-hmm. to not be you know, too worried about uh, having the most perfect detailed costume out there. Uh, this year, we're actually adding in um, a little bit of a judged event for people who, because there are a lot of people in Edmonton and uh, and Alberta who take their costuming very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, members of the 501 uh, Badlands Garrison, which is the uh, the Star Wars uh, Empire uh, costuming club. Um, you know, they <laughs> they like, take their costuming very seriously. We're talking about stormtroopers here, right? That's right, stormtroopers. Uh, we've got a Darth Vader. That's awesome. Um, we even have some of their members are coming out this year. They have a table in our merchant area, um, and some of their members are coming out not just in Star Wars costumes, but they asked me if it was okay if they came out in other stuff. Um, so we could potentially have a couple of uh, Lycans from the Underworld Oh yeah, movies. That's um, hot. As well as uh, a guy in the full plate armor from uh the was it underworld three 
So, <laughs> I, like, yeah, the nerd in me is getting yeah. very excited. Yeah. So, I mean, we we felt it was time to sort of add in a, another level to the costuming event that you know acknowledge these people because it's hard to, um, you know, it's hard to have them come up and sort of be judged. Uh, you know, the guy in the full underworld armor. Um, or the Darth Vader costume, it's hard to sort of put him against the guy who spent 10 bucks at, at Value Village um, and and not, you know, and not have the guy who spent 10 bucks at Value Village feel that he, you know, he's outclassed and things like that. We want people to, you know, the people who are costuming for fun to come out, but the ones who are more serious yeah. needs to have something as well. So, Scott, are you dressing up at all this year? I sure am. What do you, uh, are you, can you tell us or you, is it going to be a surprise? It's a secret. It is a secret. Listeners will have to come out and see, but I will say it's pretty awesome. Cool. I, um, I wonder if it's worth, well, you mentioned uh, merchants because now I'm thinking, okay, so I want to be Commander William Riker, the most useless character in Star Trek for Halloween. <laughs> Ironically funny, right? Yep. Um, I do not possess the, the costume, uh, to do it yet and so i was i was thinking either i find a pattern online and pay someone to make it which would be really expensive i would i would assume either way i'm looking at something that's expensive yeah can i do you think there are going to be people who are selling stuff like this or what what, what's the merchant area like for you uh if they're not selling it there are certainly going to be people there that can help you out we actually have the the uss bonaventure which is the local star trek fan club Mm -hmm. uh, has a table there um, uh, two tables there actually, and <laughs> there's be... so many of them they need two tables, <laughs> uh, and they usually come out and and yeah certainly they'd be able to help you get a, a Riker costume together, um, but we have uh, we have a mix of artists and uh, sort of local merchants, uh, Wizards Comics and uh, um, is coming out. Um, uh, Rudy Gunther who does uh, a web comic called Dead Alive and is also putting together a game. Uh, I remember uh, Rudy used to draw a comic for the Gateway. Yes, he did. What was it called? Again? Death World. Death World. <laughs> yeah. I thought that comic was so funny. Fada fada. Because it was so <laughs> weird. Oh, Rudy, God bless you. I'm glad you're going to be there this year. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, along with like all the local groups, uh, like I said, the Five One Badlands Garrison, uh, USS Bonaventure, uh, Fan Force, which is the uh, the Star Wars costuming group, but the Rebel side of the. Oh, of the coin, so rebel scum. We also yeah. have the uh, the Klingons come out and volunteer every year too. So <laughs> yes, we do volunteer to do what? Terrify the children? Well, no, they they come and you know lift heavy things and uh, yeah. act as bouncers and whatnot. They're they're actually really nice guys I'm who sure. are Klingons. So now they have the prosthetic stuff. Like, do they go? How all out are we talking? Pretty all out. Pretty all out. Yeah, a lot of them have the prosthetic forehead. We do have a few of them who do the classic Klingon, so just the uh, the mustache. And, uh... <laughs> it's so sinister. Yeah. What a throwaway that was. <laughs> They're just like, uh, we know we need to make these aliens look like aliens, but let's just make them look like evil Russians. Yep. Mongols. To be fair, again, Gene Roddenberry's vision, the technology had not caught up yet. Oh, I know. I, he was visionary. He was visionary. Uh, and that's why he made Have Gun Will Travel. I was thinking more of uh, Earth Final Conflict <laughs> and Andromeda. What Andromeda. Yeah. Earth Final Conflict, what was the racist term for the aliens they were fighting in that one? Am I thinking of the right show? I don't think you are. I think you're thinking of the Chigs in uh, What was that show in, called? Uh, Space Above and Beyond. That's Earth Final Conflict, Space Above and Beyond. <laughs> I don't know. You know what show really sucked, though, and kind of didn't suck, but I'm going to say it sucked? Earth 2. Earth 2 had its moments. Yeah. It was it was better than Sequest DSV. <laughs> a, l- a lot of things were better than Sequest DSV. Come on. That was just like, 
Was it? Is it Roy Scheider? He just needed a paycheck. Jaws. They weren't making any more Jaws sequels, and they were like, "Well, you were in a movie about the water, so naturally you <laughs> yes. can captain the most advanced submarine on Earth." Obviously. Yeah, yeah I really think choice. that that sequest would have been way better if uh, um, David Attenborough, the naturalist from England, had been the captain. Because can you imagine? Like he'd just be so excited about discovering strange new life. You you know what would have been even better than that if Sequest had been a spaceship and not in the ocean. Well, yeah, yes. I I imagine the creators of Sequest were just like, well, you know, space. It's been done, but really, Ronald Moore proved that it had been done, just not well. You know, recently. Anyway, Sequest sucks. Don't watch it. What was the name of the kid who uh, who talked to the dolphin? Lucas. Lucas. Yes. What a fabulous, fabulous character. <laughs> Sorry. <sighs> All right. Um, what what have we missed about Pierce Beck? What, what um, else do you need to bring to our attention here? Two of our other special guests. Let's um, do it. One who, uh, who came out last year and was gracious enough to return and uh, visit us again, uh, Monty Cook, who is responsible for... Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I'd say he's largely responsible for uh, D&D 3rd Edition. Um, he's one of the chief designers of that game system, um, as well as uh, Wolfgang Bauer uh, is joining us this year, and he's uh, also a, a freelance game writer, um, has done a lot of work. Uh, he's actually sort of created a, a sort of a revolutionary way of presenting gaming material uh, in the industry now. He uh, traditionally, gaming material was a gaming company would uh, design a product, put it together, um, you know, sort of throw it out, out there and see how it sold. Um, Wolfgang uh, came up with the the idea of uh, sort of doing it the other way around. Uh, he would present an idea uh, to the general public, um, the the geeks out there, and he would say, uh, "This is what I'm thinking of putting together. Um, how many of you would be interested in in something like this? What are your thoughts? Um, if you're interested, throw some money in, and uh, I think I saw I'll put it together. I saw this on the web, right? Yep." Uh, yeah. And are we talking about board gaming or are we talking about video games? Role-playing uh, games. Role-playing role playing games. Because, yeah, there's this really cool website, um, just if I can interrupt, that where, where game designers, and I imagine it can be anything, they basically create a video, post it on the web, and pitch their concept. Mm -hmm. They talk about gameplay. They talk about you know their story. And then depending on the amount of money that you're willing to donate, you can get... Um, you get like executive producer credits if you throw yep. in a couple of grand. You yep. can get a thank you if you throw in twenty bucks. Like that, that's really cool. You're basically you're you're crowdsourcing money. You're raising money through you know everyday channels, mm -hmm. trying to draw from a base of fans that are excited about this kind of thing. That might be a big part of the future of developing this kind of material. Yeah, I really think it's going to be. So, it's the yeah. it's the traditional investor model, right? Like you invest, yep. so you become a member of the board, or you get a vote, or not. And you help guide the development of something that you have a, now a paid interest in. I think it's yeah. a really excellent model for that kind of thing. Oh, it definitely is. And it was something that in the gaming industry hadn't been seen um, ever. Um, probably not since the, the very, very early days of gaming before it really became a, an industry as opposed to just sort of a, a hobby. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, yeah, so they're both coming out. Um, you know, they've known each other for years, and they're going to be talking back and forth. We've actually set up uh, an interview with Wolfgang Bauer, uh, that Monty is going to do, uh, cool. and at the same time, um, Wolfgang is going to be interviewing Monty Cook, so they'll be interviewing each other simultaneously, and likely regaling the crowd with hilarious stories of their nth-level paladins going around and getting beat up. Speaking of paladins, 
Uh, is there anywhere in the city, do we know anybody who would design uh, Brotherhood of Steel armor from Fallout 3 for me? Because that would be awesome. Yes, I do. We're talking after. <laughs> I imagine it'll cost a lot of money. Yes, it would. I do not possess this money. We need a show sponsor. It's true. Call me. Uh, let's talk uh, numbers then, because uh, sure. I know you said in your first year you had 60 attendees, which mm-hmm. I think is phenomenal for something, again, that you didn't really advertise. What are you, what are you shooting for this year, or for attendance? Uh, this year we'd like to see, you know, four or 500 people come out. Uh, last year we had uh, a little over 200, and it's, uh, it's not unreasonable to assume that we can get, uh, you know, at least twice as much. We've done a lot more advertising this year. Um, we've, uh, we've worked harder. Uh, we've been advertising certainly longer. Um, our advertising really started in uh, February of this year. Really? We started going out to some of the other local uh, events like the Edmonton Toy and Comic Show and uh, Pop Culture Fair and mm-hmm. uh, Animathon and really just sort of pushing the pushing ourselves, getting ourselves out in front of people. Um, <laughs> we're still, you know, we're, uh, I know there's a lot of people out there still to reach and uh, a lot of people, uh, a lot of people who still potentially haven't heard of us because... Uh, uh, invariably at any of these events um, I spend time fielding questions uh, about whether or not this is our first year and uh, have we been doing this for a long time and so you know we're always trying to uh, start a little earlier and, and reach more people well you're building a brand and it's a yep. it's a once a year event so I mean you, you have some things that you're sort of fighting against but it sounds mm-hmm. like it's been a tremendous success you have over 20 special guests scheduled we do um, how many sessions throughout the whole festival are, are there gonna be yeah, off the top of your head. Uh, off the top of my head, we are looking at um, we're looking at two panel rooms, probably running about uh, eight or nine panels a day. So we're looking at uh, about I would say forty. Plus, we have um, the five hundred one Badlands Garrison is running sort of costuming demos at their at their booth or at their table so you can check that out Uh, we have the dark age productions coming up from calgary who uh, are going to do a medieval combat demonstration uh, out (laughs) in the lobby that's really cool Um, would that be considered larping no because they're actually demoing actual medieval combat they're not hitting each other with like nerf bats (laughs) (laughs) and they're not going like fireball fireball (laughs) sorry larpers we love it's you. Okay. If anyone is interested in checking out the schedule and some of the other speakers that are going to be at Pure Speculation, go to www.purespec.org. That's P-U-R-E-S-P-E-C.org. So we're going to dip into the mailbag for the first time ever. For the first time ever, we the have a new... The first time ever, we're we going a, to dip into the mailbag. We have a, hopefully a new segment uh, that uh, we'll just call the Unknown Studio Mailbag. And uh, fortunately, Scott and I have set up email addresses for ourselves. You can email us both at our first names, Adam or Scott, at theunknownstudio.ca. And this week, uh, an old friend of mine and someone whom I believe Scott knows or at least is familiar with from our university days sent us an email... That says the following. Hey, Adam, long time no see you. I hope all is well. <laughs> well, Tyler, you'll be pleased to know it is all very well. 
Recently, he says, on one of my seasonal meanderings through the iTunes music store, I took a sharp left at nostalgia and searched for Edmonton in the podcast directory, expecting or hoping to find someone reading Scott McKean's potpourri articles over the soothing sounds of the North Saskatchewan, I stumbled upon the unknown studio. My opinion isn't worth much, but as one of your tens of listeners, the least I could do is write you to let you know that I'm really enjoying the show. To be specific, the show has touched my life in the following ways. <laughs> so Tyler goes on to say, when Scott Lilwall was describing his Ultima online days in the, our fourth episode, I laughed so hard that I almost lost my pad thai in the middle of the Rideau Center food court, which incidentally is a great place to find company when laughing to yourself. Uh, Tyler uh, actually lives in Ottawa, so that's what he's talking about. He goes on to say, hearing that cockroaches are really just after the mess that I created has helped me realize that I am not a victim and that the cohabitants of my new apartment are actually trying to send me a message about my own level of cleanliness. Thankfully, my landlord hired a PR person to come in today and send a message in response. Anyhow, thanks for providing this bit of entertainment every couple of weeks. My hat's off to you and Mr. Bourgeois for starting up this venture. Please don't run out of show ideas or I'll have to go back to listening to NPR. All the best. Tyler Botton. And once again, if you would like to send us mail for our mailbag, uh, you can send them to us at Scott or Adam at theunknownstudio.ca. Adam. Do you have a Fast 15 you would like to share with Mr. Brent? I do, Brent. And as one of our tens of listeners, I'm sure you know the rules. So here we go. Okay. Number one, your favorite food? Uh, sushi. Your favorite color? Green. Mac, PC, or Linux? PC. Dogs or cats? Cats. Your favorite holiday? Halloween. Your favorite sport? Ooh, that's a tough one because I actually really loathe all of them. Uh, <laughs> even the ones I used to play. I would say uh, rugby still. Favorite pastime? Oh, D&D. Favorite music right now? Celtic. Favorite movie? Uh, the new Star Trek. The movie that you hate but everyone else seems to love? <sighs> Titanic. Hmm, that's a good answer. The one movie that you get made fun of for loving? <laughs> a walk to remember. <laughs> <laughs> Unexpected. Your proudest moment? Uh, the end of the first year of Pierceback, actually. Fair enough. And your least proud moment? Pass. Fair enough. Yeah. And now we're on to our wild card questions. Who would win in a fight? Adolf Hitler or Barack Obama and why? Uh, I would have to say Barack Obama because uh, I think... Uh, I think Hitler was just a, a tired little man who didn't really know anything about fighting at all. I think Barack could take him down. And Barack grew up on the mean streets of what, Chicago? Yeah, Chi-City. There yeah. you go. And your last question, name the one reality TV show you'd be willing to appear on and why. That is tough because, I again, I really hate all of them. But probably <laughs> probably the one I'd be willing to try uh, is, uh, and I forget the exact name of it, but it was, uh, I think it was called Who Wants to Be a Superhero. Oh. Uh, and it was actually uh, a reality television show trying to make... Um, trying to make people into superheroes. Not, you know, the, the mutant uh, Leap Tall Billings type, but more the vigilante style... Uh, Batman style of superhero um, so that one I would give a shot at but the rest of them or perhaps a Japanese game show ah 
Yes. Like uh, most extreme elimination challenge. <laughs> yes. Or also they always, as... you know what? The people in that show look like they're having so much fun. It's, Sorry, it's, it's Takeshi's Castle yes. is what it's actually. You're thinking of the American version, yes. which is just hilariously dubbed, but still equally funny. If there was a reality TV show called Nympho Island, I think that's where I would want to go. I love you, Rachel. There was a reality TV show called Fear that MTV put on, uh, which I would have totally appeared on in a heartbeat if they had asked me. I'm not even lying because it was awesome. There are a few episodes rolling around on YouTube. MTV's Fear. Check it out. Sweet. And that's it for the Fast 15. Thank you, Brent. Thank you. On our next show, we're going to be discussing politics as it relates to our, this great province and country with a fellow who most people know as Dave Berta, Mr. Dave Cornway, and uh, Duncan Wojtasek will be joining us as well. You've been listening to The Unknown Studio, Episode 8. Our guest, Brent Jans, our topic, the Pure Speculation Festival. Pre-production by Adam Rosenhart, post-production by Scott C. Bourgeois. You can visit us on the web at theunknownstudio.ca. Thanks for listening. Fireball. <laughs> Fireball. <laughs>